Thank you. Good morning. It is, I can honestly say it is a privilege being here, and uh, I love this church. I'm sure sometimes people want to come in here for a drink, and they get a different kind of drink, right? This is great. I, I love it. Very, very culturally appropriate. You know, when you're a missionary, you want to make sure you're culturally appropriate, and uh, this is definitely a Wyoming church, right? Amen. Uh, and I guess uh, definitely a, a Lander church. What I understand, what I understand that is it true that the cowboy on the license plate is a is a cowboy from Lander? Is that true? That is okay. See, oh, even know the name. There we go. So, so was that like a black and white picture or something, and then they put it into a silhouette or what? Okay, all right. So I can't make a T-shirt out of it or anything like that. Huh? Uh, I guess I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes, we are in enjoying uh, Lander. Uh, this is a beautiful. We went up to Sinks Canyon yesterday, and it's, br- it's very easy to worship God, the Creator, here, isn't it? Yeah, uh, wow. And and to think that is the fallen creation. Just think what the new earth is going to be like. Um, just want to just give a little introduction of, of who I am. Um, John already said uh, what we've done in the last few years. But uh, my wife, Jewel, go ahead and sh- show that. There there she is. That's my lovely bride. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Uh, I'm going to be talking really, I'm going to be representing her. I'm really representing my whole family, but I'm going to be talking about uh, our theology of risk as a family. And so a lot of this has to do with my wife's testimony and her battle with fear. And so I want to make sure you saw her and my daughters. Go ahead and four daughters. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, let's show mama with our, with my girls. So. What, I, I am really not a real missionary because three of my daughters and their husbands and kids are out on the mission field with us. Isn't that great? So I actually have grandkids out in Senegal with me. So praise God. God is good. Um, again, it's really nice to have Joe and Sharon here. Uh, they've served with us for six years. Uh, God really uh, has used them. And uh, we're looking to see where God leads the next step in, in their life. Um, I just want to let you know and announce this, uh, that Jesus is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he is not only building his church, but he's using young people. We work uh, with kids, and it's wild because it seems like kids can get away with more. So we actually have kids opening doors for Senegalese pastors. Uh, Senegal is a country of 90, uh, 95% Muslim. But yet they do consider themselves to have freedom of religion. Uh, but it's amazing how our kids can get into communities and people say, oh, you know, a bunch of high school kids, we'll let them in. And they come in and they're opening doors uh, for our Senegalese pastors. But um, God is building his church. And the, the neat thing about it is that he could do it any way he wanted to, but he allows us to be part of that. And so I want to thank you first, uh, first of all, for really enabling me to do what I do. All right, without our churches back here in the United States, without their prayer support, without their, their giving, um, we couldn't do it. 
And so I want to thank you uh, for joining us. You are partnering with us there in Senegal, and you're partnering with these kids. And so uh, before I speak, I just want to kind of encourage you by uh, showing you a video of a little bit of what our kids are doing. Here at Dakar Academy, outreach is a huge focus. Our passion is to let them know that even at a young age, these high schoolers can see Jesus move through them to reach the Senegalese people. Two of the biggest events is our biannual outreach weekend, where we go to villages in the outlying area and we proclaim the gospel using the kids' interests and talents, everything from puppets and drama to painting, construction, medical. On n'était pas venu tout simplement en parole, hein, mais on était venu également en action, des choses qu'on ne peut pas séparer. Parce que la Bible dit que la foi sans les œuvres est une foi qui est vaine, qui est morte. One of the new ministries that we added this year that we've never had before is praying for people who came to be treated medically. The students were washing people's feet and asking them, can we pray for you? So some people were being healed before they even got inside to see the medical personnel. When the child evangelism team and the drama teams went out to these outlying villages, they ran up to the students and said, we heard your God heals, will you pray? And they would bring their sick. This time during outreach, it was really quite different. We could tell that God was moving and he had a plan for the village. And there's one girl in particular that just God had an amazing story for her. We went into um, one village that was previously closed to the gospel, but they let in the drama team. At the end, we asked if anybody wanted prayer, and so they brought forth this girl. Her leg was curled under and her ankle was bent. Her foot was turned underneath. She was walking on her knees. The only way she could get around was by just dragging herself through the sand with her hands. First impression was, this would be huge if the Lord could heal her. We prayed for her once and nothing really happened. We prayed again and again and again. I just felt you know, convicted that sometimes it takes more than one prayer. Every time we prayed for her, she, she rose up a little higher and she could walk a couple steps farther. For the first time in 10 years, she was walking under her own power um, around the ground. Everybody in the village was going nuts. They n'ont jamais vu de guérison. Et va savoir qu'il y a quelque chose plus puissant que ce que nous croyons, nous qui n'en sommes pas des chrétiens. The dad came forth and talked to our pastor. What he told us was since he saw what Jesus could do, since he saw this healing, they were going to take her grigris off, which are fetishes for protection and things like that. And they said if she wants to, she can become a Christian. People were coming up and saying, this whole village knows what you're doing. There were grown men that were crying, that were weeping as our kids would pray for them or as our kids would wash their, their feet. Literally thousands of people were coming out to hear the gospel. People at the campaign were, were chanting, Yesu, Yesu, Yesu. And so it's like, where did this come from? You know, these are they people. They don't even know Jesus. They don't even know Jesus and they're chanting his name. After we left and came back here, uh, the pastors called us and said, we are just getting inundated uh, by people asking more questions. What about this Jesus? Can these kids come back to our village? Usually we go in and God blesses our work, but this time God did his own thing. He healed people, he performed miracles, he opened doors that would never would have never been opened if it was just in our hands. Aujourd'hui, la population est très ouverte 
par rapport à l'évangile. Quand ils passent, ils t'écoutent, ils t'accueillent de façon chaleureuse parce qu'ils ont vu exactement ce qui a été fait. The villagers have said themselves they have seen the compassion of, of the kids. That's what really spoke to them. It's more than just showing up and, and talking about Jesus. It's showing Jesus. It's not just talking about love. It's letting the people see the love of Jesus coming through us. Encouraging? Yeah. <laughs> that great? Yeah. I love it. I am going back uh, end of November, and I'm going out to that village. They just completed a new church, built it, and I'm going to be there for the dedication. Um, that little gal, uh, she's become a believer. Four of her family members have become believers, and they've started a Bible club in that village that once was resistant to the gospel. So praise Jesus. First Chronicles 21:24. David says, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. And when we first went to the mission field, uh, we went to the country of Cote d'Ivoire. And really, being a missionary in Cote d'Ivoire at that time didn't cost us an awful lot. We were on this beautiful campus. There were tennis courts, soccer fields. It was almost like a little uh, country club. The country was very stable at that time. But then the president died. And then there was a coup, and then an attempted coup, and we start, started seeing the, the breakdown of uh, the infrastructure there in that country. More robberies began to take place. And not only were there more robberies, but the missions community began to be targeted uh, more in those robberies. Uh, also, a lot of carjackings. Uh, the vehicle of choice was a Toyota Land Cruiser. Guess what we owned? Um, We had some friends of ours, and uh, really friends of, of Jonathan's, uh, that were missionaries in Mali, and they decided to come down to Cote d'Ivoire because we have a beautiful coastline, and they went and had vacation. They're coming back from their vacation. They decided to pull over and get some fruit. All of a sudden, they saw that they were surrounded by armed bandits. The armed bandits jumped in their vehicle, and they realized their three kids were in the back seat. And so the missionary said, please, let me get my kids out, and they were... These bandits wanted to get out of there as fast as they could. And he said, please. And he just jumped in, grabbed his kids, got them out of the, the back seat, and off they went. A little while later, we had some missionaries that stopped by in our, our village there where we lived. And uh, the father went into town to, to get some, some food, some chicken off the street. He got out, paid for his chicken. As he was getting back in his car, he found himself surrounded by armed thieves. They jumped in, and he said, can I get his 18-year-old? 18-month-old little boy was in the car seat in the back. He said, at least let me get my baby out there. And they said, nope, we're, we're in too much of a rush. So they jumped in, they started speeding off, and he jumped on the front bumper to try to stop them, and they put their pistols out the, the window, shot him, hit his side, he fell off, and off they went. Well, of course, news got back to our campus. We began praying for this little guy. About 45 minutes up the road, The thieves pulled over, took the baby in the car seat, put it by the side of the road, kept going. Fortunately, some villagers heard the baby crying. They went and got the baby, got them all cleaned up, took him to the police station. The police called the American Embassy, and about 11 o'clock that night, that, man, that family was reunited. In fact, uh, the next day, I was up in the dining hall and making some announcements, 
and I saw the mother go by with the little baby. And uh, I said, bring him in here, bring him in here. And I held him up, you know, kind of like the Lion King, you know, oh, and everyone, you know, clapped and, and, and celebrated uh, a good ending. But not all the endings were good ones. Uh, the robberies became more violent. And uh, not only were they now uh, taking vehicles, but they were going into restaurants and, and homes. And along with the robberies, even though people were not resisting, there were these useless beatings where they would beat up like 60-year-old nuns for absolutely no reason. Then it really hit home. We were back here in the United States for a, a seminar when we got word that my wife's prayer partner, Amy Nielsen, had been abducted from a restaurant in front of her children. They were in the restaurant. Thieves came in, grabbed her, took her out. They began beating her with their weapons. And they said, take her, take us to your home. Well, she knew she didn't have anything at home. And so they ended up out at our mission headquarters. And they went in, broke into the office, ended up getting like $14,000. The whole time they're beating her, one point she had her hands clasped and she was praying and they kept on forcing her hands apart saying don't pray to this god of yours he doesn't hear you you're going to die tonight they put her back in the vehicle after they robbed the mission went into the town unfortunately i guess they were happy with what they got they dropped her off some back alley she was able to get home when my wife heard this when jewel heard this she said she began to experience fear that she never felt before especially in in cote d'ivoire and with each new report, the fear increased as we hear different. And again, uh, the, the enemy was whispering in her, in her ear, it's just a matter of time. It's a matter of time until those robberies come out here and affect you. She said it, it became a paralyzing fear. And it wasn't necessarily for her, but as a mother of four daughters, her main fear was something might happen to her children. And so we decided that we needed to sit down as a family and develop what we call a theology of risk. And we discussed what we believe about God as it relates to risk and suffering in our lives. Do we only follow God if it means no risk, no cost? And we talked about what could happen if we stayed and what were the possible, what the possible cost was. Worst case scenario, it could cost our lives. Our kids were all born overseas and they didn't have a choice about where to live. And so Jill and I felt it was important to sit down and make a decision as a fi an entire family. Do we go or do we stay? We didn't want our girls later on, if something happened, to point their fingers at us and say, why did you make us stay here when you knew the risk involved? And so we had a family meeting and we said, okay, in two weeks we're going to take a family vote. And we want you girls to read your Bibles uh, we want you girls to pray. And as a family, we wanted to seek God's will as to what we should do. Well, Jewel was, I think, secretly hoping that the vote would be let's pack up our bags and come back to the States. Two weeks later, we had our family vote. The girls uh, were having their quiet time. were seeking God. And so we gave them each a time to just share what God had been speaking to them. Well, our one daughter, Amber, our third born, said, well, you know, Mommy and Daddy, if it means we stayed here and I, and I lost my life, that really doesn't bother me. But she said, you know what? I don't know if I could handle being an orphan. I don't know what I would do if I lost one or both of you. And we said, that's fair, Amber. Does that mean your vote is to go? She said, no, I didn't say that. I just want you to know my concern. So each daughter shared. 
we got to the end, and we took a vote. And Jewel was extremely amazed because even her vote went in to staying. It was unanimous. Every one of us voted that we needed to stay. Realizing, you know, what would it do to the face of missions? Every time there was a, a few problems, the missionaries packed up their bags, tail between their legs, and left. And so we felt at this point God was leading us to stay. The ministry was still going strong to stay there, uh, even though there was risk of danger. It was a special time. And Jewel felt encouraged, but I have to admit that the fear did not leave. There were more reports of robberies, even some missionaries uh, that were shot, some people that were killed. And uh, it got to the point where she couldn't sleep. And like I said, it was paralyzing. And one morning she woke up. She couldn't sleep. She was so fearful. She just heard a report. And so she got up to go out and have her quiet time. Well, during, during this time, it didn't help, but in her quiet time, she was going through the Bible, reading through the Bible, and she was in the book of Jeremiah. Now, one of the books you don't go to for real encouragement is Jeremiah, right? I want a little encouragement, Jeremiah. Nah, you know, gloom, doom, despair. And she woke up, and she just got honest with God. And she said, Lord, please, Release us from ministry. Please allow us. I, I want to leave this place and go back to America where it's safe. And she said, no offense, God, but Jeremiah just isn't doing it for me. God must have been smiling because he had something special for her that day. She, at this point, she was in Jeremiah 42, and I'm going to read a section from her journal, and it's a section from Jeremiah 42, and I'm going to put, in place of Israel, I'm going to put Jewel, And in place of America, I'm going to put Egypt. Okay, and here's how Jeremiah 42 reads. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, if you will indeed stay in this land, then I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you and not uproot you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you are now fearing. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and and deliver you from his hand. I will also show you compassion. But if you're going to say we will not stay in this land, so as not to listen to the voice of the Lord your God, saying, No, but we will go to America, where we will not see war or hear the sound of a trumpet or hunger for bread, and we will stay there. Then in that case, listen to the word of the Lord, Jewel. Thus says the Lord of the hosts, Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, If you really set your mind to go to America and go to reside there, then it will come about that the sword which you are afraid of will overtake you there in the land of America, and the famine about which you are anxious will follow closely after you there. Well, she didn't want to hear that. It wasn't till that afternoon where she started realizing what the Lord was trying to tell her. That afternoon, Cote d'Ivoire time, like 8 o'clock in the morning, East Coast time here in the United States, that very day, two planes crashed into the Twin Towers, an event we now call 9-11. We had CNN at the school there. And so after that first plane hit, I, I told Jewel, come up. You've got to watch. There's a horrible thing that happened in New York. And when she arrived just in time to see the second plane hit, we realized it wasn't an accident. And as she watched those horrible events unfold, she said, the voice of the Lord seemed to be saying to her, see, Jewel, where do you think you are going to go in this world to be safe? 
the safest place to be is in the center of my will. I'd like to say that was the end of the fear, but it wasn't quite over. More robberies took place. The fear returned. We were now on Christmas break. The kids had left. Kids had gone back uh, on vacation, and we're there, just a kind of a skeleton crew of staff members on campus. Uh, the director left, asked me if I would just be in charge since there were just a few people there. And I received a call from a missionary in town, said, oh, there's been another robbery. A uh, Catholic priest, they grabbed him, took his vehicle, took him out in the woods, stripped him naked, beat him, and left him out in the woods. Said, if you, uh, unless you have an emergency, why don't you uh, not go into town? And especially if you have a four-wheel drive, stay out of town for a little while. Well, he said, would you call the other missionaries there? So I'm calling around, letting the other missionaries know about this news. Of course, I had to tell Jewel, and you could just see her face change. She wrestled all night. Finally got up real early the next morning. And in fear and weakness, she said, God, do you hear the cry of one lone mother? Does my little prayer count for anything? She was now in the book of Haggai in her Bible reading. And here's God's response to this mother's cry. I am with you, declares the Lord. Take courage, take courage, take courage. Three times Haggai says, take courage, declares the Lord, for I am with you. And as for the promise I made you, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. And then it says, and in this place, this place, I shall give you peace, declares the Lord of hosts. She felt so loved. God's word is so living and active. It was she said as if that God said to her, Jewel, am I enough? Am I enough? Is my presence enough? She said, yes. She realized that safety was not the absence of danger, but it's the presence of God. Amen? She said, when she said, God, you are enough. See, there was this peace that flowed over her from the top of her head to the tip of her toes. And the fear left and has never returned. About six months later, we were put through the test. <laughs> it makes sense, doesn't it? God doesn't just give us his promises and say, okay, let's move on. Isn't that nice? My promises, aren't they great? He wants us to know that his promises are sound and true. We had just returned to the United States uh, to do a seminar, and we decided to leave our two younger daughters uh, there with some friends of ours, and we came back to do this seminar, and Jules' worst nightmare occurred. In fact, before it was funny because before uh, this thing occurred, uh, the, we, had at, we were asked to do a devotional with all these people at this seminar, people that were going out to the mission field. And so Jewel got up and, and told them about our theology of risk. And she said, it fits like a glove and, and uh, the fear is gone. And then we hear this. While we were gone, seven armed bandits came onto our campus. Our daughters were staying with this family, but they went over to our house uh, to make chicken, just the two of them. And they're making chicken. The bandits came in. They went to the next, next door to them and began beating uh, the couple there in, the, in that house. At one point, they got distracted because the car was going down the side of the campus and they didn't want it to leave. And so they're shooting at the car. When they got distracted, the lady ran from that house over to our house. And the girls could tell that she had been beaten. There was horror in her eyes. And she said, quick, 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 quick. 
turn off all the lights, lock the door, go back to the back room, get under the bed. And so they ran, got, got under the bed. And just after they got under the bed, they could hear footsteps of the thieves. Because there were no lights, they passed by the house and went down to the lower end of campus where we had a short-term missions team there. Again, fortunately, the kids were not there. But the short-term missions team was staying in one of our, our dormitories. And they went down and, and began to, to, to beat them. They were very upset because they weren't getting the money they thought they were would able, be able to get. And so one of our guards, uh, one of our Senegalese guards uh, came in and they grabbed him and they put him on the, the lounge floor there and point blank put their guns uh, to his back and executed him right there. Our business manager heard the commotion. He drove up. They jumped into his vehicle, began hitting him with their, uh, their gun butts. At one point, he began witnessing to him, and they said, oh, that's great that, uh, that uh, you love this God of yours because you're going to be seeing him any minute now. They drove off campus, uh, went down this uh, back road, and again, just telling them, you know, we're going to kill you. Uh, they got out of the car and said, okay, get out. And they're loading up their guns uh, to shoot him. And he's thinking to himself, why am I just going to stand here and take a bullet? So he took off running, sprinting, zigzagging. Of course, they shot at him. Fortunately, they're bad shots. It's pretty hard to move. Well, you hunters know that. Hard to move a target zigzagging. Uh, and he was able to, to get back to safety. When we heard this report, the first person that Jewel wanted to talk to was Amber, our daughter Amber. And she got Amber on the phone. said, Amber, did we make a mistake several months ago when we decided to stay? Did we make a mistake? And Amber didn't even hesitate. She said, absolutely not, Mom. She said, there are people here that... Uh, are wanting to leave. They said, that's it. We've had enough. We're leaving. But we were able to say, you know what? We already counted the costs. We already made the commitment. And this is what uh, we decided we were going to stay. Jewel talked to Devin, our youngest daughter. Same thing. It was neat because I think the people at that seminar, <laughs> they heard this news and they were thinking, how does that theology of risk fit now? We were able to go back the next day and have another devotional. And Jewel was, able, Jewel was able to get up and say, remember that theology of risk I talked about a few days ago? Well, it's been tested, and it even fits better. Two months later, we found ourselves caught in the crossfire. Jonathan was talking about that, where rebel troops were on one side of the school, government troops were on the other side. They weren't shooting at us, but they are shooting at each other, and they were using our walls kind of as a shield. So bullets were flying everywhere. For about six, six, seven days, we were on, in lockdown. But, you know, it was, it was wild. Even during that time, pretty a hectic time. Now, you can imagine being in charge of about 180 kids during all that. And even during that time, uh, one, one of the battles that took place, and there was just bullets everywhere, uh, we were separated from our, our daughters. Uh, we were trying to take care of the, the rest of the kids. Our daughters, everyone knew the drill. We had, we had these drills. And uh, so finally, after this battle... I went out looking for Amber. And I saw her and I said, Amber, uh, how you doing? You know, I wanted to debrief and see if she was doing okay. And uh, she said, oh, yeah, yeah, that was pretty wild, Dad. And, and then she looked at me and then she looked around and she was real sheepish and she said, Dad, that was exciting. <laughs> Adrenaline freak. 
some French commandos came in, and uh, we were able to be evacuated uh, out of there. Uh, ended up in Senegal. You know, so often I think we have this false theology that God doesn't allow bad things to happen to his people. But God never says that. In fact, he says really quite the opposite, right? He says, in this world, you will have trouble, tribulation, problems. But I've overcome the world. He promises us that we will have trouble, but more importantly, he promises his presence. He promises his presence. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Great story. What's interesting about that story is when was the presence of God seen? In the fire, right? It was in the fire that the presence of God was seen. In fact, if you read that, it's kind of wild because they're in the fire and there's only one thing that burned. What was the only thing that burned in the fire? The things that, would hold, that was hold, yes, holding him captive, Right? And sometimes I think God allows us to be put in the fire, to be put in a difficult situation, to burn away those things that really keep us from following him. And so Scripture says, what were they doing in the fire, by the way? What does Scripture say they were doing in the fire? Yeah, they're walking around in there. They're having a good time. It must have been a pretty big furnace, huh? They're walking around in there. And they weren't in any rush to come out, were they? In fact, they didn't come out until Nebuchadnezzar goes down to the, the, the fire, well, outside, obviously, the furnace, and said, hey, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out. Now, one of those guys, all those guys were teenagers. One of them had to have a sense of humor, right? The scripture doesn't record this, but I bet you one of them said, nah, come on in. You know, party's just warming up here. Come on in. They weren't in any rush. And you know what else is interesting? It wasn't until they were in the fire that others saw the presence of God. And sometimes it's when we are in the fire that God's presence will be more real to us. And many times it is, that is the time where we can be a testimony that God, of God's presence with us, that other people will see the Lord in the fire with us. What are you offering to the Lord this morning? Are you holding back? You're afraid of the cost. The cost is too great. The fire is too hot. And one of the things I like about the millennials is that they like extreme. Everything's extreme. You know, they're doing the, the X Games or they're doing stuff on uh, skateboards and bicycles and motor. It's like they shouldn't be doing that. Okay? Extreme stuff. Um, I went uh, to get some deodorant. They actually have extreme deodorant. I guess for those who have extreme body odor. I was on a plane and they were talking about the extreme geek. So there's even extreme. Everything's extreme, extreme, extreme. Well, you know what we need now? We need extreme followers of Christ. Extreme Christians. Extreme missionaries. Extreme prayer warriors. I was talking to, uh, we met with two small groups on Thursday. I told them they could go to sleep right now because they heard this story. But when we first went, when we first went to the mission field, we were, you know, young missionaries. This is back in the days. So, so how long ago it was. Back in the days where you used to write letters. Anybody remember letters? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. You must be a little older, you know. All, all the young ones are going, letters? What are letters? Okay. But 
And it was one of those things where, and that's the only way you communicated, and it took several weeks for, for, to get letters. And it was usually feast or famine. Either you got tons of letters or you got nothing. Well, it was one of these feast days. And I'm thinking, all right, letter from mom and dad, letter from Larry, letter from this person, letter from this person. And we're just basking in all this news. But we also got some letters from people that we didn't know. And the problem with letters or mail is that it's a blessing because you can catch up on news, but it's also a curse because then what do you have to do? Right, you got to write back. So I don't mind, you know, family and friends, no problem. But then I got this letter from this old lady in this church that I didn't even know. And to be honest with you, I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking, oh, no, this is one more letter. I, oh, it's gonna, I'm going to have to answer this lady. And I'm sitting there thinking, what, uh, I don't have time to do this. And I'm reading her letter. And to be honest, her letter was kind of boring. She said, dear Evan and Jewel, I went to the church. They had potluck. And, and I made roast beef. She gets to the very end of the letter and she says this. I just want to write you and tell you that I pray for you two times every day. Oh, talk about feeling rebuked. I said, I said to my wife, you know those times where we, we are struggling, we're wondering how, you know, in fact, when we look back, we wondered, how did we make that? How did we do that? I'll tell you how we made it. Little old granny. So when that little prayer warrior pulled us through. I hope I can raise some extreme prayer warriors, not only for my ministry, but I know even uh, for what's happening in this church. We need extreme prayer warriors. We need extreme givers. I love it in, in Malachi, where the Lord talks about, you know, God tells us that we're not supposed to test him in anything except in giving. I love it. In Malachi... It's kind of God in your face. God says, test me in this. Test me in this. And see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing, you won't have room for it. I love it kind of, kind of coming to the cupboard, you know, and you're opening it up. Do, 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 Just overwhelmed by God's blessing. Extreme givers. Extreme prayer warriors. Can you say to God this morning, I will not offer to you that which costs me nothing. I want you to bow your heads just briefly, please. Maybe I, I'm going to just give two, two appeals. One is this. Maybe you find yourself uh, in a furnace. You find yourself going through a very difficult time. And you don't know why God has, has put you in that difficult situation, but this morning as you've listened, you realize that the most important thing for you to seek is his presence. Now, of course, you know, we're always going to pray, Lord, get me out of this furnace. But maybe God wants to reveal himself in this whole situation. And, and this morning you find yourself in the furnace and you want to say, Evan, would you pray for me that I will look for God in the furnace, that I will, I will find find him, and walk with him during this difficult time. Would you just pray that God will reveal himself in this difficult situation? Just put your hands up and put it down so I can pray for you. If you find yourself in the furnace, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I want to pray for this, and I'm going to give you another challenge. Father, you saw the hands that went up, and I'm sure there's times they do not understand what purpose that you have in this. 
But as we talked about Thursday night, Lord, you're a good God. You can do nothing but what is good. And you also want to reveal yourself to us. You want us to gain new intimacy with you. And I pray, Lord, for each one who raised their hand, that they will look for you and they will find you in this difficult situation. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they'll walk with you. They'll enjoy your presence. Lord, maybe there are some things that need to be burned away. Lord, burn those things away that just are not of you, things that are keeping them back from going deeper with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Then I just have one more thing to just challenge you with. Maybe God has spoken to you, the Holy Spirit spoken to you this morning about just being more extreme. Maybe a more extreme witness in the places where you're, you're working. Maybe a more extreme giver. Maybe a more extreme prayer warrior. But God is saying, it's, it's, it's time. Now, we can't do this on our own. We can't say, I'm just going to grip my teeth and be more extreme. No. <laughs> we have to cry out and just say, God, we are weak. But Scripture says, when we are weak, you are strong. And I, I, want, you, I want you to come fill me so I can be extreme. God has spoken that way and says, yep, I want you to be more extreme. I want you to do something more extreme. I just want you to stand so I can pray for you. Stand. I want to be more extreme. I'm going to take it up a few notches. Amen. Amen. Now, the problem with this is that the devil sees this, and devil hates extreme believers. He hates it. So don't be surprised if attacks come, but be encouraged. Usually what we've discovered on the mission field is when we're going through difficult times, God is, ready, is getting ready to break loose, and the devil knows it, and he's trying to discourage those people from stepping out. Uh, this happened just before we left. God is getting ready to break loose, I think, even at our school, and things have come out. Father, you see these standing. I'm standing with them. God, we don't just want to be those that walk around and talk about you. We want to be people that are just filled to the brim. People overflowing with your love, overflowing with your presence. We want to be Jesus and skin to this community. There are so many people that need to see Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray for a supernatural anointing. I pray that you will manifest your presence to these people, to these folks that are standing, that are, are want to love you even more extremely. Lord, I, I pray that you will give them opportunities. I pray for a protection over them and that the enemy will not be allowed to discourage them. So, Lord, I present them to you. They present themselves to you. And, Lord, I pray with a sense of anticipation that there is going to be some things happening here in Lander because of these extreme followers of you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.